Good morning, Stapleton Baptist Church. I'm excited to be with you uh, again this Sunday morning on March 29th. I uh, hope all of you are staying safe in your houses. Um, got your family gathered around for us to uh, open God's Word together and do the best we can to fellowship um, even when we can't be together. I'm so sorry that drive-in church didn't work out uh, today. Uh, the deacons and I are going to evaluate in the, the days and, and hopefully one more week to come as to what the best option for our church is going to be going forward, um, figuring out how we're going to get together. Because I promise you as your pastor, we're not going to continue not meeting together forever. Uh, as soon as it is possible for us to safely meet together again, um, we're going to do that. And whatever method it, it takes for us to be able to, that we're not going to just sit here and not gather together as a church anymore. Uh, we're going to find a way to do that. We may have to be creative. We may have to be a little uh, unorthodox in our methodology, even as we remain uh, orthodox in our theology. We're going to figure out a way to be together as a family again. So uh, Deacons and I will be talking about that in the days and weeks ahead. So keep your eyes peeled on the Facebook page and on the website for how we're going to do that. But as for today, we're going to do this in our homes again. We want to make sure everybody stays safe. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 5 uh, as we continue our march uh, toward Easter, getting ready for uh, the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray together, then we're going to open our Bibles and we're going to study the Word together. Uh, Father, thank you so much for today, Lord, as I stand here in what seems like an empty room again. I know it's not empty. I know you're in here with me right now. Um, and Lord, I know you're with our church members as they gather together in their families, Lord, um, in their homes. Uh, Lord, I pray that even as they're by themselves, um, Lord, you would stress that you're with them as well, that our church is seeking to obey you and, and not forsaking uh, meeting together. And meeting together looks a little bit different right now, but it's out of care uh, for those who uh, who are the the most at risk among us, Lord. So I ask that you protect them. Lord, as we study your word this morning, I uh, pray that you bless us with the spirit of understanding. Um, you change our hearts so that we look more like you when we're done than we did when we began. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm so glad that you're, you, you're together as a family, hopefully. You've got your Bible out. We're going to study it together. And today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 8 through 14. So you've got it up on the screen right there in front of you, and you can read it with me. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So we're going to break this passage down into three sections, uh, the same way we do every week. And the first section we're going to look at shows that our Christian identity comes from Christ. Our Christian identity comes from Christ. What is your identity? Your identity is simply who you are, uh, but it's, it's more than just who you are. It's the way that you ought to live uh, based on who you are. And, and if who you are being a directive for how you're supposed to live is odd to you, think back to when you were a child. Um, some of you at some point, or most of you at some point, probably had your parents say something to you of this nature, we don't do this in this family. Or we don't do that in this family. That No child of mine is going to behave this way. Um, no son of mine is going to do this. No daughter of mine is going to do this. That That is a way of communicating to your children that their identity, in that case as a family member, means that they're not going to behave in a particular way. Um, sometimes it means you do behave in a particular way. Uh, that you are a so-and-so. That, so that's just what you do. Uh, you know, in some cases, you know... In the agrarian past of this society, um, you know, if you were, if your father was a blacksmith, you'd be a blacksmith. If your father was a farmer, you'd be a farmer. If your father was a tailor, you would be a tailor because your identity kind of provided some guidance uh, for what you were going to do. Now, that's not professionally really the way the country works anymore. That's not a, a mandate that if your family traditionally has a particular type of job, you would. But there's a little bit of that carryover of uh like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, your identity provides somewhat of a mild directive for what you're going to do in your life. But for a Christian, it's a lot more uh, severe and important than that, that Christ himself provides us our identity and therefore gives us 
somewhat of a directive on how we're supposed to live. So let's look at the first couple of verses of this passage, Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 10. Uh, Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So let's talk about each of these different clauses uh, for just a second. That Paul tells us first... Uh, talks to us a little bit about our status. He says, for you were once darkness. You were once darkness, that this is a solid statement. This is not a question. This is not Paul asking if, hey, were any of you at once in your life, were, were you dark uh, morally, spiritually? Were you dark people? Uh, and, and he doesn't ask it as a question. He states it. For you were once darkness. Uh, now, this has nothing to do with your physical appearance. This has nothing to do with your ethnicity. This has to do with the state of your soul. This has to do with the moral state of your being. Uh, you're standing before God. You were once darkness. But then he turns around and says, but now you are light. What? You are light in the Lord. That this becoming light doesn't have anything to do with your own personal effort. It doesn't have anything to do with your own personal skill. It doesn't have anything to do with your own attempts at faithfulness and righteousness. That The change from darkness to light completely has to do with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, His finished work on the cross, coming to bear on your soul and on your heart. That as you walk with the Lord, really, you become saved and you give your life to Christ. He forgives you of your sin and through the power of His blood takes you and makes you a new creature. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, you, identity-wise, you move from darkness to light. And as you continue to walk with the Lord, that light gets expressed in you more than darkness is expressed in you. So you once were darkness. This is a concrete fact. But now in the Lord, you are light. And so because in the Lord we are light, he gives us some instructions. So if you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. That that's his next instruction. That since you are no longer darkness in the Lord, since the Lord has come into your life, now you are no longer darkness. You are light in the Lord. Because you are light, walk as children of the light. Be what you are. That's what he's saying, that Jesus has changed who you are. He has made you someone new. So since you are no longer darkness, since you are now light, behave like the light that you are. Well, Paul, how do I do that? Well, he told us. He says, walk as children of the light for the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you in your translations, it says for the fruit of the light. Uh, this is a manuscript difference. For the fruit of the Spirit, for the fruit of the light, the idea is in Christ. This is outside you. That the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the light that you are in Christ, the outworking of that is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the light is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. How many of you have ever thought, you know, I look in my Bible, I really want to know in this particular situation what God would have me do? What is his will in this particular situation? Well, there are plenty of situations in, the, in life that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis that is not specifically explained by your Bible, uh, is it? Uh, that there's nothing in your Bible for those of you, this might, those of you who are you know, maybe sub-18 at this point might not remember this, but pretty much anybody older than 18 is going to know about this. Uh, do y'all remember when file sharing on computers used to come out? If I say the word Napster or LimeWire, some of you are probably going, oh, I remember those days. I remember just deciding I wanted a CD. That what the, Kids, music used to come on CDs. I feel so old right now. Music used to come on CDs. You'd have to actually go to the store and buy them. Downloading music was not normal. It was revolutionary. So uh, these things called Napster and LimeWire and file sharing services popped up where you could just say, oh, I want this CD that just came out yesterday from somebody and I don't have to go pay for it. I can just go download it. That Somebody else bought it and they put it up there and so now I can just go download it and listen to it for free. Isn't technology amazing? And all of us kind of jumped on that to begin with because this was a brand new technology. We hadn't thought about it. 
But for those of us who were Christians, probably after a while, uh, I know this, this happened with me, I felt very uncomfortable about this because the music that I was downloading, even if it was good music, I didn't pay for it. And there's nothing in my Bible that talks about file sharing. There's a, because that technology didn't exist. CDs didn't exist. Recordings didn't exist. They had the written word in oral tradition, and that was about it. So the Bible's not going to talk about advances in technology like that. But I do have the principles of Scripture that I can go back to Exodus 20 and see where my Bible says, you shall not steal. And I know this is a product that somebody poured money into, that they produced it, that they intended to sell for a profit, and here I am getting it from somebody for free. That sounds a lot to me like stealing. And the Holy Spirit's convicting me about this. So even though the Bible doesn't specifically mention it, I know that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So because I know the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the light, is in all situations, in all things, it is goodness, righteousness, and truth, I can take the, the general principles that Scripture gives me and I can apply them in the Lord, the Holy Spirit working in me can apply them to any particular situation. I don't have to ever ask God whether or not it's okay for me to steal. I don't ever have to ask God whether or not it's okay for me to lie. I don't ever have to ask God whether or not it's okay for me to uh, do anything that Scripture says you should not be doing. Because the fruit of the Spirit is in all situations, goodness, righteousness, and truth. So it was like, oh, well, I don't know if the Bible tells me how I'm supposed to be lied in this particular situation because it doesn't speak specifically to it. It doesn't have to. Because the fruit of the Spirit of the light is in all things, goodness, righteousness, and truth, and finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So what do we do with this? Well, I know, based on this passage, that Paul says, once I was darkness, but now I'm light. And because I'm light, I'm supposed to be living my life in a particular way. Notice that Paul doesn't say you live your life a particular way to become light. That he says, because Jesus has made you light, live this way. Salvation comes first, then righteousness comes. You're not righteous enough to gain salvation. So do want to say that at the beginning. But once Jesus Christ has saved you, he says, that's the reason that you are light. That those who are in darkness, those who don't know the Lord, those who don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ, they are still darkness. They're spiritually dark. They are morally dark. So it's only natural if they're spiritually or morally dark, they're going to live dark lives. Say, ought somebody know better than doing this? No, they shouldn't because they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. They haven't given their life to Christ. They haven't been changed from the inside out. So why would you expect someone who hasn't been saved to behave like they have been? It, it doesn't make any sense. Those who are darkness in the world are going to live dark lives. But those who are light should be leading bright lives because their brightness is sourced in the Lord. Think about it this way. Have you ever entered a dark room and flipped the switch only to have nothing happen? What do you look at? Do you start looking around the room and blaming the room for the darkness? Or do you look up at the light bulb and you blame the light bulb? Something's wrong with the light bulb. You expect the room to be dark because its natural state as darkness. Its natural state is to be devoid of light. But if the light bulb doesn't glow, you assume something is wrong with the light bulb. It's the same thing with Christians who aren't living lives of light. You assume something's got to be wrong with them. You don't go blame the world for a Christian's uh, uh, life of darkness. That You look and you say, something's got to be off with this person who's claiming a relationship with the Lord. And Jesus actually said this. He, he instructs us because we have a living vital relationship with him, he expects us to live lives of light. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. 15 can I speak, please? Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So what Jesus says should be happening is a dark world should look at the life of someone who knows him, someone who has been saved by his finished work on the cross. They should look at that life and say, that's what goodness looks like. 
that that must be what God is like, that that kind of goodness is something that I want. If that's the kind of God, if that God makes this person live their life this way, that's attractive to me. I want a life like that. I want to live like that. That's what Jesus intends the life of a Christian to do. And the only way a person can live a bright life that glorifies God in all situations, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the light, in goodness, righteousness, and truth, is to already be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are going to naturally start exuding Christ's light when you are saved. That's just part of your new identity in Christ. That Jesus intends us to live that way. Christians are lights in Christ who ought to cause others to see the glory of God's goodness. That's the first thing that Paul has to say, is that Christian identity comes from Christ. That as soon as Jesus gets a hold of you, as soon as you're saved, you go from being darkness in the world to being light in the world. And showing other people in a little minuscule, tiny, baby talk kind of way what God is like. That Christians, you should aspire to show others the glory of God by living faithfully to Him. Uh, So, Christian identity comes from Christ. Second, I want us to see that Christian contrast comes from Christ. Christian contrast comes from Christ. Now, contrast between what? Well, between light and darkness. That Christians living lives of light only gets the attention of someone when they're used to seeing darkness. Have you ever been in a, in a really dark room? Uh, maybe this happened to you on a school trip one time. It's an overnight trip. Um, you, know, you know, this happened, you know, on wrestling trips. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, that we would have to go off on an overnight tournament or something. And at the end of the day, we're all really, really tired. But, of course, we're high school kids, so we don't go to bed uh, when we're supposed to. So we get in bed really, really, really late. And the coach comes along in the morning and bangs on the door, and somebody gets scared and flips the light on, and none of us are quite awake. The, the darkness goes away, and what happens when you see light to begin with? You open your eyes, and oh my goodness, that's so bright. It shocked me. That's what happens to a dark world when a Christian shows up who is living a life faithful to Jesus, is it looks so different that it's, it's, it's staggering. The contrast between light and darkness is what Jesus wants out of us. So let's look at the next couple of verses, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Paul gives us two separate commands in this passage. The first command that he gives is a negative command. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Let's break this down word by word. This word fellowship is togetherness, it's unity, it's this sense of community. Involvement, connection. So what he's saying for us as Christians is we've got to be really careful that we don't build these connections of fellowship and unity and togetherness with the unfruitful works of darkness. So remember, Paul just said the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Well, darkness doesn't produce that fruit. Our goal as Christians is we should be producing this fruit in all situations. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Darkness doesn't produce that. And the the degree to which we associate, affiliate, fellowship with darkness is going to diminish the fruit that we bear that is goodness, righteousness, and truth. So let's talk about social distancing for a second. Am I talking about ostracizing people who are not Christians? No, I'm not. Because if we ostracize people who are not Christians, how are they ever going to come to know Jesus Christ? They're not. The only way somebody's going to come to know Jesus Christ is if a Christian, in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, goes and makes disciples of all nations. Yes, you should associate with non-Christians. You should be friends with them. You should love them. You should eat dinner with them. But we've got to understand that there is a level of closeness. There is a level of fellowship that Christians can never really cross with non-believers. That we understand things because we are walking with Christ that unbelievers don't understand because they don't want to understand. They don't want that relationship with Jesus Christ. Am I bashing somebody? No. I'm just telling you reality. Anybody can be a Christian. 
Anybody can turn from their sin and be forgiven. And I hope if you're listening to this and you go, well, I'm not a Christian. Are you telling me that I'm darkness and there's a level of friendship with Christians I can't have? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But you can get that level of friendship with Christians. You can get that level of fellowship with us if you will turn from darkness and come to light in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that we're super awesome, perfect people. We're not. We're all busted. But the fellowship that Christians can have in the Lord is actually in the Lord. So if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, there's a level of fellowship and closeness that you can't cross with somebody who doesn't know Jesus because darkness itself diminishes the fruit that Scripture commands us to bear. So if you want a close relationship, the closest people in your life are going to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. They ought to be. <clears throat> because darkness and light are contrasted to each other. And Paul actually gives us a positive command. The negative command is to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That you should not welcome darkness into your life. Rather, the positive command is actually to expose it. Because he says it's shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. It's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So let's talk about this negative command for just a second. Paul, when he's commanding the light to have no fellowship with the unfruitful work, works of darkness, he's not commanding the light to do something special. He's just, a command, he's just commanding the light to do what light naturally does. Yet light actually cannot mix with darkness. When light enters a room, the darkness has to leave. For there to be more darkness, there has to be less light. We don't even have a category of thought for what half light, half dark looks like. Do we? We just define a room by whether or not there's enough light. You don't mix light and darkness. There's no what is light and dark put together? We don't have we don't have a category for that. We can't process it. That we either know there is light or there isn't. There's not half light. You know, Augustine, which this is uh, you know, this is this is gonna be a discussion. I'm gonna try and make this simple because there are very few minds as complex. Uh, as Augustine, but he was one of the more prolific writers and influential thinkers in the history of the church. And in his work, Confessions, which is kind of a spiritual autobiography, uh, Augustine is really struggling in book seven with the origin of evil, with the origin of darkness. Uh, and he asks the question, and this is a paraphrase, he says, okay, so God is good, right? And we would all agree, yes, God is good. And God created all things. Scripture says all the things that God created were very good. But we are very conscious of the fact that in this world there's something called evil. So if God is good and God created everything, and Scripture says that everything God created is good, where in the world did this evil come from that we know very clearly is not good? God couldn't have created it because he's perfectly good and everything he made was good. But evil does exist. So did someone other than God create it? Did evil create itself? And the answer to both of those questions is no. Uh, God did not create evil, and evil did not create itself. The conclusion that Augustine reached, which I believe is right, and I'll show you why in just a second, the conclusion Augustine reached was actually brilliant. That He came to the conclusion that evil doesn't actually exist as a substance. It's not a created thing. Evil is just the word we use to define the absence of good. Evil is the absence or injury or corruption of a created thing that does have substance. Goodness. Compare this to the creation story. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Where in this verse does God create darkness? He doesn't. Look at it closely. Look at the words on your screen. God said, let there be light. There was light. And God saw the light that it was good. Then what did God do? God divided the light from the darkness. God never created the darkness. God created light and separated it out so that there's somewhere that doesn't have light and there's somewhere that does. And he calls the, this light and he separates the light from the darkness. Anywhere the light is not, that's where the darkness is. God doesn't say that darkness is good. Does that mean that God created something evil? No, it's not good because darkness is just what isn't there. It's where there's not light. So take this and think about good and evil. 
God did not create evil because evil is the absence, it's the privation, it's the corruption, it's the injury of that which is good. So if you go into a room and you flip a switch, you don't turn off the dark. You turn on the light. We naturally think this way. We know that darkness is the absence of light. So if Christ has called us to be light, fellowship with evil is dimming that light. It is corrupting the light that we're supposed to be shining. It is lessening its brightness. You are defeating one of the purposes that Jesus Christ saved you for. He wants you to be shining in the world and shocking the darkness with the brightness of a life that glorifies God. And when we have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, we diminish the impact of that light. That we make it harder for people to come to know Jesus because they see Christians living like everybody else, doing everything like everybody else. Our lives look the same way. Our finances look the same way. And, and am I talking about prosperity gospel? No, I'm talking about us running ourselves into the dirt uh, in debt with spending on every single little thing we have to have. I gotta have this car. I gotta have this house. I gotta have these clothes. I've got to have uh, my kids doing this club and this sport and, and going on this trip and, and wearing these clothes and, and driving this around, to, you know, whatever. Our lives look like everybody else's. So somebody looks at the life of a Christian who's living like that, running themselves into the dirt in debt, fellowshipping with works of darkness. Uh, we cuss like everybody else. We drink like everybody else. We smoke like everybody else. Uh, we, we work like everybody else. That We don't take care of our families like everybody else. We don't prioritize our marriage like everybody else. We don't prioritize parenting and teaching and discipling our kids like everybody else. That... We, we run ourselves ragged with our schedules and get just as stressed as everybody else, display just as much frustration and anger. We don't display joy. We don't destroy peace or, or display peace. We don't display joy. Uh, we, we live our lives the exact same way as everybody else and then wonder why our churches are not packed. It's because we're not different. We're supposed to be displaying the brightness and glory of God in how we live our lives. To do that, there's got to be contrast. Church, we've got to decide that because we are Christians, there are some things we're going to do and there are some things we're not going to do. That I am not going to do this because I'm going to prioritize glorifying God. I am not going to have my kids do every possible activity that they can be in that takes them away from church. I am not going to max out every bank account I have, every line of credit I have, so that I am not able to financially support my church. I am not going to fill my schedule with so many things that I can't be involved with my local church. I am not going to ruin my witness by, with my friends by saying things and doing things and being places so that when I talk to them about Jesus, they're not going to listen to me. That I'm going to decide as a Christian that Jesus Christ has saved me. He died on the cross for my sins. He bled for me. He has made me light. So you know what? I'm going to shine. I'm going to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But I want to bear fruit for the Jesus who died for me. We've just flat got to make the decision that we're not going to live our lives like everybody else is. And until we decide to do that, the power of the church, the witness of the church is going to be greatly diminished. With the light of Christ's goodness shining through us, evil expo is exposed for what it is, shameful. Shameful. Evil is shameful. And I'm be very careful about what I say right now because I, uh, I don't want to be misconstrued. I'm not saying the church wants people to be ashamed. What I am saying, though, is that shame is not always bad. The same way that fear is not always bad. You should be afraid of something that can hurt you because that fear motivates you to defend yourself or take steps to make sure that you don't get hurt. <clears throat> shame is the consciousness, according to uh, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, Shame is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety, or a condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute. 
that shame is actually social. Shame requires the evaluation of an audience outside the self. And those practicing shameful deeds knew that. If you look at, if you look at Paul in this verse again, he says that uh, those, it's not even, uh, it's shameful even to speak. <coughs> Excuse me. It's pollen, not coronavirus. Uh, he says it's shameful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Let me ask you a question. Why does someone do something in secret? Why does somebody hide it? If you're going to do something, why not just do it out in the light of day where everybody knows about it? It's because you're ashamed. You know it's a bad thing. So if you know it's a bad thing, why are you doing it? Well, because it's the darkness in you. It's the flesh saying, my flesh desires this sinful thing, but the consciousness that God has imbued me with knows that it's a wrong thing. And I don't want everybody to know that I'm engaging in this fleshly desire. So what I do is I go and do it at night. I go and do it in secret where folks aren't going to see me, where folks aren't going to know. And Paul says it's shameful even to speak about the things which they're done in darkness. But then he also says, expose the deeds of darkness. That the church should not be okay with works of darkness. We should verbally be saying things like this. We passively and actively uh, obey this command, that we passively obey this command by not accepting darkness as though it's light, by not accepting evil as though it's good, by not being okay with sin. That the church is not going to be okay with stuff like that. And we actively obey this command by calling sin out when we see it, particularly amongst our own body. That we, we shouldn't be uh, condemning the world out there for sin because if the world is lost and in darkness, of course they're going to sin. That's what darkness does is it produces unfruitful works of darkness. But in the church, Jesus Christ has changed us and made us light. So when our brothers and sisters sin, we have the right as brothers and sisters to say, hey man, I'm worried about you because this ongoing pattern of your life doesn't match the life of light that Christ has called us to. Uh, go do Matthew. Go do some Matthew 18 reading on that. That's uh, th that's more than we have time to get into today. But that's a very biblical position. Look at what happens after the very first sin uh, in Genesis chapter three, ten and eleven. Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit from the tree God forbade them to eat from, uh, and He speaks to Adam, and Adam's hiding, and Adam says, "I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself." And he, this is God, said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? As soon as Adam got involved in sin, Adam came to know shame and wanted to hide from God. That's what sin does is it makes you want to hide. It makes you want to retreat. It makes you not want to be in the presence of goodness, i.e. God. It makes you want to avoid it. That light exposes the darkness that is sin. Speaking of light, I think it just lit me up in here. I don't know how that happened. But uh, Adam wanted to hide uh, as soon as uh, light showed up, as soon as God showed up. So Christians are lights in Christ who ought to cause others to recognize evil by contrast. So we can do that by purity. I want you to look at Matthew 5, 13. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. That Jesus just says, uh, you as Christians, you're supposed to be salt in the world. You're supposed to bring out the flavor of the goodness of the creation that I've made. But if you get diluted with dirt and with powder and with other minerals, that the saltiness that you have is going to be diminished. So that contrast is not going to come out as much. That we need to take great care in our Christian walk that we do maintain that social distancing from the unfruitful works of darkness, that we don't let them be involved in our Christian walk so that we do continue to have that Christian witness. Uh, second, we can, we can be lights in Christ passively, that if you look at 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, uh, Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That just means to set him apart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. That Peter is saying that we should live lives in such a way that it's actually shameful for someone to bring an accusation against us because it's so unbelievable. 
that folks should say, those Christians did not do that because I know them. I know the way they live their lives. And you accusing them of evil doing is so unrealistic that it's actually laughable, that you should be ashamed of yourself for even saying that. We're supposed to have that kind of reputation, not for our own sake, but for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That it's actually his reputation that we're defending. It's his glory that we're after. It's his kingdom that we're looking to exalt and to see grow. So we can passively obey that command. And then finally, we can actively obey this command. That Malachi chapter 2 verse 17, uh, Malachi says, You've wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, In what way have we wearied him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? That Christians, we are not supposed to act like God is okay with sin. I'm not saying that we're not gracious, that we're not merciful, because we've experienced the grace of God. We've experienced the mercy of God. So we shouldn't be merciless or ungracious to other people. But the reason grace is so magnificent and marvelous to us is that we understand the gravity of the sin that God saved us from. The grace is so amazing because I know how wicked I was. I know how sinful I was. I know how dark my life was. And I know that Jesus reached down and pulled me out of that and pulled me into his marvelous light. And I didn't deserve any of it. So grace comes along with understanding how dark and wicked and disgusting my sin was. So when we see sin, it's not grace to pretend that sin is not sin. It's not mercy to pretend that everything is okay when it's not. What's gracious and merciful is to say, hey, this is sin that's in your life. These are unproductive works of darkness that lead to nothing but sin, that lead to nothing but death, destruction, and hell. But Jesus Christ wants to offer you grace. If you'll confess that sin to him, he'll forgive you. That we're not to pretend like sin is okay or that it's acceptable or that it's, it, it's, it's fine. That no, sin is wicked and God does not think highly of it when we say that, oh, well, this evil is good in the sight of the Lord. God delights in it. Uh, no, that's not the way it works. That we passively obey the command to expose evil by living lives of holiness. And we actively obey the command to expose evil by calling out sin uh, when we see it. Uh, so uh, Christian, uh, Christian contrast comes from Christ. And then finally, Christian purpose comes from Christ. Christian purpose comes from Christ. Uh, so look at the next couple verses in 13 and 14, where Paul says, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whoever makes whatever, excuse me, makes manifest his light. Therefore he says, we're going to talk about that phrase for just a second in a minute. Um, Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So let's break this down phrase by phrase. That Paul gives us two categories here in these next couple of verses. There are things that are exposed, and there are things that expose. The things that are exposed are very clearly not light. Because if they were light, there would be no need for them to be exposed. You would see them. They would be a source of vision. And then there are the things that expose. That is light. Light exposes. When you go in a room that's dark and you turn the light on, there are the things that you see when the light comes on, and then there's the light that gives you the ability to see those things. Only two categories, things that are exposed and things that do the exposing. That we Christians are intended to be the things that do the exposing and the unfruitful works of darkness are supposed to be the things that we expose. <clears throat> so let's go back. And look at this passage for just a second. Notice that it says, therefore he says. Therefore he says. Well, that's not exactly the translation uh, that every English version of the Bible gives us. Uh, if you read the ESV, uh, it, it doesn't say he, it says it. Um, if you read the Holman Christian Standard Version, it doesn't say he, it says it. Um, why is that the case? Well, because if you look uh, at this three-part, it looks like a quotation from the Old Testament, doesn't it? Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's only one problem with that. That's not a quotation from the Old Testament. You can scour your entire Old Testament, and you'll never find those three lines that way. Now, of course, it is uh, scriptural in content, and it very clearly is scripture now. Uh, because it's enshrined in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not saying this is not scripture. I'm saying that this is probably not a direct quote from the Old Testament. 
Most scholars uh, think that this is actually an ancient baptismal hymn that would have been sung or chanted at a baptism service uh, for a new believer. <clears throat> the uh, New International Commentary on the New Testament says that this quotation is a tristic, best interpreted as a primitive baptismal hymn in which the congregation greets the new convert as he or she emerges sacramentally from the sleep of spiritual death into the light of life. So uh, we as Baptists don't believe that, that uh, baptism does anything saving for you. It's kind of like my, my wedding ring, and I, and I use this uh, illustration a lot. And I understand that there are those of you out here who cannot wear your wedding rings at work, I'm not telling you that you're, you're unfaithful to your wife or you're ashamed of your wife uh, if you can't wear your ring at work. I don't want you to feel like that's what I'm saying. But walking down the street, the reason that I wear my wedding ring is that I want everybody to know that I'm married to my wife. I want everybody to know that I am a one-woman man, that I am property of my wife, that I am not on the market, that I'm not available, that I am pledged for my entire life to that one woman, that I love her. She's awesome. Hey, honey, if you're watching this, hopefully, excuse me, hopefully later you will. I love you and you're the, you're the best. Um, but I want everybody to know that, uh, so I wear this ring. <coughs> now, what would it say to my wife if I told her, you know, she saw me going out the door. And she said, hey, where's your wedding ring? And I said, oh, I just didn't really want to wear it today. I didn't want people to know that I was, it's just uncomfortable. That's, that's a very public thing to me, and I'm not good with public statements. She's going to kind of raise an eyebrow at me and say, well, why don't you want people to know you're married to me? Uh, scripturally, we, we as Baptists look at the Bible and say that's kind of what baptism is, that it's an outward reflection of an inward reality, that I'm not any less married if I take my ring off than I am when I put it back on. But just putting a ring on wouldn't make me married if I'm not. Baptism is the same way, that if I'm saved, baptism is a way for me to show that salvation and to confess that I've given my life to Christ to everybody else. But if I've never given my life to Christ and you put me in that, that baptistry back there, the only thing you've done is get me wet. Uh, you hadn't done anything spiritually to me. Um, but what this church is saying when they look at this this rite of baptism that new believers go through is uh, they would sing this and say, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Different translations may say shine on you. Uh, the ESV, New American Standard, Holman Christian Standard, and NIV all say, and Christ or and the Messiah will shine on you. That's just a little bit different verbiage. It means the same thing. Christ will give you light. Christ will shine on you. The idea will be Christ's light will shine on us and will will clarify what should and should not be taking place uh, in our life. That This is Paul encouraging us uh, when we look back and he says, okay, there are two categories. There are things that are exposed and there are things that do the exposing. When you think back to your baptism, who was what? We were the ones being exposed. We think back to our salvation. We were the ones being exposed by the light of Christ shining on us. That when we heard the gospel, we said, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. God have mercy on me. I need to be saved. And Jesus Christ saved us and illuminated. Yes, you know what? You are a sinner. You are wicked, but I died for you. I love you. I'm going to save you. And we now have an understanding of sin and what it is. And we don't want it in our lives. We see it as the unfruitful works of darkness. And we thank God every day that through his Holy Spirit, he's kind of sanctifying that out of us. And finally, one day in glory, when we get to see Jesus, we'll be free from the power, presence, and penalty of sin uh, all at once. Uh, but right now, we gradually grow in sanctification every day, uh, even though we're we're saved completely from the get-go, uh, that we look at Jesus Christ and we say he's constantly exposing in my life sin that needs to go. So Paul is saying when you ask yourself this question, am I the exposed or am I the exposer? He's saying looking, look at your life every single day. Remember what you told everybody at your baptism. Remember what you told everybody when you publicly professed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You claim to be saved. You claim to know Jesus. You claim to be a new creature. So when you find yourself tempted by those unfruitful works of darkness, remember what you told the world. Remember that day of your baptism when you publicly professed to be a follower and disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in that moment where you are taking part in the unfruitful works of darkness, are you being the exposed by Christ 
or are you being like Christ and being the exposer? Which is Christ? Christ is the exposer. He's the light. And that's what we're supposed to be. Look at 1 John chapter 1. But if we walk in the light as who is in the light? As He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That if we claim to be Christians, we ought to be walking in the light the same way that Jesus is in the light. That our lives ought to look like Jesus's. And if part of our life doesn't look like Jesus's, that's the part of our lives that we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to sanctify us in and make us look more like Him. And I'm not asking Him to save me more. If Jesus Christ has saved you, that's all the saving you need. You're completely saved at the moment you give yourself to Christ. Salvation is not a process in the sense that I get more and more saved every day. No, you're completely saved at the moment you give your life to Christ. But you grow in sanctification day by day as Jesus continues to point out areas of your life that he intends you to grow in. But we ought to be able to discern a pattern in our lives of growth and faithfulness and growth and consistency of walking with the Lord that we ought to be walking in the light as He is in the light. And that walking in the light as Jesus is is the source of our fellowship with one another and is the result of the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleansing us from all sin. <clears throat> Second, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Look at this. That Paul says in 2 Corinthians, hey, if you've come to Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Yes, that's encouraging. Oh my goodness, that my old sin is gone. I'm a new creature, that it has been separated from me. God's not going to call that back uh, against me in judgment one day, that it's gone. It's over with. But it's also a call not to go back to the old things that have passed away. You can't give away your salvation. You can't lose it. But man, I'm telling you, there are some Christians who treat sin like it's not a big deal. And it's, oh, it's okay. God, God will forgive me. No, 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 no. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't go back to that old life. You're a new creation. You're something new, that God made you something new with a purpose. And what is that purpose? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, Jesus saved you so that you could share the gospel with somebody else and they could be saved. And then he saved that person so that they could be a new creature and share the gospel with somebody else. And when you have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, what does that do to your ability to share the gospel with somebody else? It diminishes it. It dims the light. It cuts out the contrast that you're a little less salty. You're a little less bright. You're a little less different. The shock is not as severe. Jesus wants you to be shocking. He wants you to be different than the rest of the world around you. He wants you to bring out the flavor of God's goodness in the world. And folks go, my goodness, interacting with that person was so different. And Paul's warning us in this last passage, whenever you're tempted to diminish that witness, to diminish that ministry, to diminish that calling, remember what you told the rest of the church at your baptism, that I belong to Jesus Christ now, that I'm one of his children and I am publicly professing to be his disciple. It's his reputation that's on the line when we decide to go back to that old creature we once were. And we don't want to do that. That's disrespectful and just flat rude to the Lord Jesus who died to save us. And with that, the ministry of reconciliation, I want to give you an invitation that if you are ever uh, thinking about, uh, well, I don't want to be darkness. I want to be light in the Lord. If you read the next two verses of Ephesians uh, chapter 5, uh, that'd be verses 20 and 21. He says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The only reason 
that God saved me was his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. I hadn't done anything to deserve it. I can't do anything to deserve it. But I know that when he saved me, he intended me and every other Christian he's ever saved to be salt and light for the ministry of reconciliation. And that is this, to implore you, yes, you who are listening to this right now, whatever day or hour it may be, that Jesus Christ wants you to come to him to be saved. And you can right there in your home, right there in your office chair, right there on your couch, right there on your, your floor, your bean bag, whatever it is you might be sitting on, that you can call out to God and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am darkness, but I want to be light in the Lord. I am devoid of goodness, but I want your goodness. I'm not righteous, but I want your righteousness. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, even though I didn't deserve it that you took all my sin on you so that you could give your righteousness to me. I believe you died in my place taking all the wrath that God had for me. And I believe that you rose three days later and that if I, if I belong to you and I want to give myself to you right now, that one day I will rise from my grave as well with death having no power or dominion over me anymore. I want to belong to you and I want to be light in you in this dark world. You can pray a prayer like that and Jesus will save you right now. So I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's your invitation today. And if you decide to give your life to Christ, please follow up with me. I'll give you some instructions on how to do that in the next minute or two. Uh, and let me know so that Stapleton Baptist can walk with you through these next couple steps. I'm going to pray. Uh, and then I've got a couple of announcements and we'll be done for the morning. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to communicate with this church via technology. Um, I really wish we could have everybody together again, but uh, man, it's good to at least be able to get into your word together, sort of. Um, so Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today who's um, wanting to give their life to you, Lord, that you would continue to just poke them uh, through the person of the Holy Spirit and nudge them on toward giving themselves to you in that way. Um, so, Lord, please bless these families as they seek to remain faithful and obedient to you during these hard times. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a couple of announcements that I want to make before we're done. Y'all probably seen them before. Uh, this is the church website, stapletonbaptist.org. If you're watching this sermon and you're not on our email list or you want to stay up to date with everything we got going on, go check out stapletonbaptist.org and you'll find all the information that we have there. It's going to have all the information we have about cancellations, uh, reopenings, Lord willing, when it happens. It's going to have all that information. It's going to have uh, spots where you can join our mailing list, spots where you can subscribe to download the latest sermon as soon as it's posted. All of the crucial information is going to be posted there. Uh, second, the next announcement is if you use Facebook, you might have gotten here from Facebook. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Stapleton Baptist GA. Facebook.com backslash Stapleton Baptist GA. If you're on Facebook, I want you to follow that page because you will get all the information you need as quickly uh, as, as it's made available. That you'll find everything you want on Facebook. Um, you, you can follow our page there. You can get to our website from there. Uh, you can join the email list from there. Uh, you can contact us from there. It's a very useful resource for you. So those two announcements one more time are stapletonbaptist.org and facebook.com backslash stapletonbaptistga. I do believe that's my time. I've already gone for 52 minutes and 51 seconds, uh, so I think that's long enough and enough from your morning for me to take. Uh, so I love you guys, uh, and I'm blessed to be able to do this with you. So uh, you guys be safe, uh, take it easy, and we'll see you next time. Uh, love y'all.